Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Alexa, who is Adam Ferrara? Adam Ferrara is an American actor and comedian known for playing the roles of Chief Needles Nelson on Rescue Me, Sergeant Frank Virelli opposite Edie Falco on Nurse Jackie. He was a co-host on the U.S. version of Top Gear. Adam's podcast is a big hit and available everywhere. Sounds like it could be funny. Sounds to me like 30 minutes you'll never get back. Oh, we're so glad you guys are here because it is showtime. We have another great show for you this week. <clears throat> I'll explain the voice in a minute. My guest in the ADD interview is uh, my pal and one of the top comics in the country for a very, very long time. And his name is Brian Regan. And we want to welcome everyone from our Talk To Me Tuesday family. That's our conversation we have every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Go to my website, click the link on Tuesday nights, join our conversation. <clears throat> we would love to have you there. And our super fan shout out is for Jonathan. Say hi to Jonathan, everybody. Hey, Jonathan. And that's all it's here. It's me, me and my beautiful wife. Under protest. Under protest. Yeah, my, my, the doctor has me on voice rest, but we could not not do a show for you. So this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You should be in bed sipping tea. Well, I should be in bed. That's why I'm sounding so sexy. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stern actually, I actually spoke to Stern yesterday. He left me this message. I got your voicemail message. Man, you sound awful. Thank you so much. So... <laughs> That's that. But we could not not do a show for you. And my pal Brian graciously did the show again for us. And I'm eager for you to hear this because you know what? Not only do I have the voice issue, honey, I also discovered in this interview that OCD is contagious and you gave it to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You sure about that? Uh, that, that, that? That's my theory. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play this interview for you. Uh, we'll be back at full strength next week, hopefully. Uh, Alex bought me a bunch of uh, lozenges and stuff. And hopefully tinctures. My, tinctures, yeah. Oh, she's got all kinds of potions my way. <laughs> I said, honey, I lost my voice because I, I was out for seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I came You did home. good up until last week. Yeah, it hit me in the last week. And then uh, I came home and she opened up a book of spells. And uh, there was all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of stuff going on. So I apologize for the voice. Uh, we're going to do the best we can. Uh, I want you guys to listen to the Brian Regan interview, and uh, and we appreciate you being here. Okay? All right. You guys listen to this. 
So what happens when you lose your voice? The most common cause is a viral infection of the larynx, also called laryngitis. This infection causes your vocal cords to swell up and become stiff so they can't vibrate freely. Man, you sound awful. You're listening to the Adam Ferrara Podcast. This is 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Yo, I have a hard time understanding him. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I have got some stand-up dates for you guys. Special show, April 1st, I will be at the Marconi Auto Museum in Tustin, California. April 14th and 15th, I'll be back in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club. And April 21st and 22nd, I will be down at Escondido, California at the Grand Comedy Club. Come see me and I will make you laugh. And as always, please come up after the show and let me thank you for all the love and support you've shown me and this podcast. All right, go on. Get out of here. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. ADHD, it's not just for kids. Nice boy, but doesn't listen to a word you say. Welcome to the ADD interview. It's not that you're not interesting, it's just that I can't focus. And my guest this week is... Oh, look, a bird! My guest this week is an actor, writer, and has been one of the most successful and respected comics for decades. His new Netflix special is called On the Rocks... He has OCD, he doesn't like raisins, and he won't start a fight at Disneyland. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome back to the program my pal, Brian Regan. How are you, my friend? Adam, how are you? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. In fact, you made my New Year's. I was working New Year's in Vegas. I get a text between shows. It goes, hey, man, you around? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, come on back in. And it was great to see you, so... Thank you, yeah, sir. absolutely. I saw your name on the marquee there, and I'm like, uh, let's go say hi to Adam. Yeah. Well, so you you live in Vegas, right? Yes, yes. Now, was I that have a, a- I, I have a lot of homes. I have uh, I have uh, estates and manors and stuff like all <laughs> over the. I have uh, I have one estate and one manor in right. Las Vegas, and then I have some just like regular homes and mm-hmm. different places. Uh, yeah, I live in Vegas. <laughs> Now, did you choose Vegas or did Vegas choose you? Because I know, uh, I, 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 I know there's no state taxes, so it was an excellent choice. Uh, well, that wasn't the reason. I mean, that's a nice byproduct. But mm-hmm. uh, no, I had lived in, I was living in L.A. prior to that. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just nice to, to make a little move and 
you know, it's an hour away if I ever need, need to do an audition or something like that. And right. I like Vegas. Yeah. I, well, I like the fact that you have that balance. You know, you have the balance between being a normal dude and just being one of the best comics uh, in the country. So that that's because I'm afraid to let go. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> You're very kind. I appreciate the nice words. Yeah, but I'm afraid to let go and not have my full attention on the job, you know, and on the career. And I and I've realized that I'm gonna I'm gonna burn out. Well, I um I I some like Jerry Seinfeld is one of these people who thinks comedians want to do stand up comedy until the day they die. Mm-hmm. Um it's so in his blood. Yeah. And I, I've always wondered if I would want to just have an end point, you know, and want to be done with it at some point and retire and enjoy my life. But um, I always go back to a, an interview I saw with Johnny Carson after he retired, he did Mm -hmm. not do a lot of interviews, but he did one that I remember. And he was asked, uh, let me take this off because I can't hear very well. Sure. Um, he was asked, you know, is it hard being retired? And he said that the hardest thing for him was thinking of something funny during the day and realizing he did not have a stage that night to say it on. Yeah. It was like very profound, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know that I would ever want that to happen to me. So who knows? Yeah. It's, it's also our sense of identity and, and who, and what we think we are. And eventually you got to let go of everything. You know, Brian, life's going to kill us all. I've done some studies. but <laughs> You're I, the one with all the studies. <laughs> and you're the one with all the manners. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw a piece they did, the NFL Network did, because you played college football. Yes. Yeah, you played college football. And you played for? I, uh, I played high school football in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. Then I went to Ohio to a little school called Heidelberg. Uh, and I played uh, college football there for, uh, yeah. And it was like a big part of my life at the time, you know, that was yeah more of, more of what I was into than comedy. Comedy happened along the way, you know? So, yeah. And then NFL films was, uh, you know, I joked that they must've completely run out of ideas. that <laughs> They want to do a segment on me, a division three football player, but you know, obviously they just are interested in people who played football. And um, so I was honored that they did this segment on me and it was, uh, it was a big thing for me to play uh, football. I even tried out for a semi pro football team that would shock a lot of people Mm -hmm. uh, in Florida. And uh, I ended up getting invited to camp, right? Uh, they were going to keep, I was a wide receiver. They were going to keep um, three receivers. It was like, they were going to have two starting receivers and then just one backup receiver. They didn't have enough to have like a whole, you know, like a sideline like you would have on the NFL. Mm-hmm. And they brought nine receivers into camp. They cut down to five. I was one of the last five. And then uh, they cut me. Ah. I remember the coach. That's got to be the worst job in the world. It wasn't the head coach. They sent an assistant coach around to let you know that you were cut. Yeah. And uh, I remember him knocking on the apartment door and I knew I was going to be cut. Like I I was hurt. My hip wasn't hurting. They're not going to hang on to me. Mm -hmm. I I probably wouldn't have made the team anyway. And he came in, he goes, Hey, Brian, how you doing? (laughs) 
And I'm like, good, man. And he sat down in this chair and he went, well, anyway, just wanted to let you know, I came by to give you the word. And that's the way he put it. And I always tell people that I wish I would have like said, really? And then I, I wish I'd a, I would have ran to the phone and said, mom, dad, I made the team. <laughs> the coach is here right now. He just gave me the word. Do you want to talk to him? <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a great, it was a great uh, beat in that, in that segment they did where your high school coach is talking to a, a college scout and he calls you over. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the, um, in the locker room and in the middle of the day, I was in the football locker room getting books or something, but it wasn't getting books. Trust me. <laughs> I was there for some reason. And I saw my head coach talking to a college scout mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was hoping to be able to play college football and my head coach said, Regan, come over here. And my heart was pounding. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I walk up and he says, this is coach so-and-so from, I forget what college. And I went, Hey, how are you, sir? And so my coach said to me, do me a favor, Regan, go see if you can find Whittington. <laughs> Mike Whittington was like our best player on our team. He ended up playing for the New York Giants. So I had to run around campus <laughs> looking classes. Mike, Mike, are you here? You have a bright future. I just got the word. You have a bright future. I just got the word. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things, there was a moment where they, they showed old clips of you and you got emotional because you went, that was a big part of my life. That's true. And it was, uh, it seemed like that, that you didn't know what to do for a moment when that happened to you. They, they said they had found um, footage of me playing at Heidelberg. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any of that footage since I went to Heidelberg. And they wanted to show it to me while the, I was on camera. Like they sure. didn't want me to see it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So um, they showed me these films of me playing college football and catching passes and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to, you know, get your heart and soul into that, you know, and go, man, that was like a big part of my world at the time. And to relive it, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was emotional. You know, I was like, man, I, you know, I, I, I loved playing football. And uh, so it was nice to be able to relive that. Yeah. Is it is it hard for you to adapt to change? Well, I was very fortunate in that while I was in college, I hit on stand up comedy as mm-hmm. a quest. So I had that going as well. So when comedy fell, I mean, when football fell by the wayside, it wasn't like I had nothing. You know, I was like, yeah. OK, uh, that's done. But at least I've got this other quest that uh, I can go after. And I have friends who played football. And I, the tough thing about athletics is that there's a timeline on it. You know, sure. like uh, you only have so many years to, mm-hmm. to, to make it as an athlete and uh, comedy. I'm like, I can be lousy for 40 years <laughs> <laughs> and still and still keep trying. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, well, I got the word. You've made the right choice. <laughs> Thank you. And, and I didn't know this about you, but uh, you have you have OCD. Well, I've never been officially diagnosed. I, I you can look at my books in the back and see how how organized they are. I say in the special that I self-diagnosed myself with it. I um, I certainly have the meticulous organization 
thing mm-hmm. where I, I need everything organized. Um, right. And if it's not organized, my brain starts, uh, you know, it's not comfortable. But I've always said that whatever this meticulous thing is, it, it has always helped tremendously with stand-up comedy because stand-up comedy is about organization and mm-hmm. beats, moments and like even if I was prepping for a, a five minute Letterman spot, the amount of work I would put into that, like I would time jokes and and have them down to the second, and like I know, you know, I would say, all right, this bit was thirty five seconds. This bit is fifty seconds, you know, and. and I would move things around and like the amount of math and effort that goes into a spot. So I I, I think having that meticulous thing in me helps me in terms of being able to nail down a stand up thing. And a lot of people, when they watch comedy, they don't realize the work that goes into it. They just see the end result. But um, I love the the mechanics of it, you Mm -hmm. know, and when it works, it, it feels tremendous, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I, I did the same thing where I would time them. And that's the only place where I had that kind of focus was in in the act and in the bits and, and, and crafting, especially you say late night when I figured out how to do it. Like I figured out you put your best joke second to last, you know, because the band kicks in and you get an applause break. Yeah. Yeah. And- There's a lot of things about doing a especially like a talk show set, you know, with a host where they come out because sure. the audience is I know it's going to sound weird, but in some ways they're they're too good. Yeah. Like they're they're so hyped to be a good audience that they're often not acting naturally. And they're like, uh, let's applaud, you know, (laughs) and I've got a tagline here. I wanted to say now the tagline's gone, you know, but you can't say that to an audience. You can't say, Hey man, don't be so good. (laughs) You know, but, but, but it's, it's challenging on, on a weird side. Like, wow, these people are so good that I have to adjust my act accordingly. Yeah. I remember somebody years ago before I ever did a stand up set saying, always expect the first joke to be a foul ball. Mm. Just expect it to be a foul ball. Because if you go out thinking that your first joke is going to kill and it doesn't, you're yeah. going to, you're going to be in your head for the whole five minutes going, "Uh Oh, I got off on the wrong foot. So that was always something that helped me to go out going, just assume this first joke is not going to get what you want. Right. Because that TV audience doesn't know me or you, you know, they're like, who is this guy? And yeah. so your first few jokes are establishing a persona and a, and a point of view. And, and, and it, it takes a few minutes before they finally go, okay, we kind of see where this guy's going. Mm. I've always said the hard part of stand up comedy is setting up the pins it's not knocking down the pins yeah there's a lot of people who are funny you know there's a lot of people at work people go my buddy at work is really funny yeah he's funny because you all know that sally is always late and ed is cheap and uh, harry is you know uh never gonna buy lunch and so he can just make wisecracks and be funny. He doesn't have to set any of that up. All of that is set up in your office. When a when a, a person like you or me comes out on stage in front of an audience, there's nothing. It's a sheet of ice. That there's nothing. There's nothing. You have to set pins up real fast. Yeah. And then knock them down. Well, the th- also the thing that you do that I like uh, is because we're so divided uh, as a country. You make both sides can laugh at it. But underneath there is a point of view. There's a little. I, I think I think it's in the crouch. I think it's in the, the delivery in the crowd. The punch. It's in the punchline squat. It's in the Regan punchline squat. I don't know where. Yeah, that's it. The, yeah, point yeah. of view. I get that little bit of. It's not subversive, but I'm like, it makes me happy if it makes. Well, me happy. I appreciate that. I, I I like to kind of be. I don't know. Kind of have the joke. I, I like to have certain jokes that 
I want both sides to laugh at, and I want both sides to think, oh, he's on our side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, when, when I was watching the special, I can watch you as an audience member, and I watch you as a, as a, a mechanic. And, uh, and my wife watches you, too, and says, see, he doesn't curse. I go, you know, fuck him. <laughs> But when I was watching the OCD bit, uh, when you when you talked about the books and everything, I realized I not that I have it, but I I didn't I've never had OCD since I met my wife. But now when I met my wife, she doesn't put she doesn't put the caps back on the water bottle. Drives me insane. So I run around putting caps on water bottles. She doesn't put cap. I like to write with these uh, cheap fountain pens. And she goes, oh, I love these. And she leaves the, the cap off the pen. I run around putting caps on the pen because Couch in New York has a big ink stain on it. And I saw it coming, you know. So I right. have I have these little things. And I was realizing, do I have OCD? And I, I've never been diagnosed. You said you've never been diagnosed. But then when you, when you talked about your act, I'm like, oh, shit, I focus on that. So I'm focusing on little things that I, I think that are, I think it's to avoid danger. I mean, I, I know OCD is a very, very, very serious thing. Mm -hmm. And there are families and individuals affected by it. it, it it's a spectrum oriented thing. And um, so I try to be careful not to make light of it because I mm -hmm. know that there are people out there. I, I don't want to make light of the people who, who are affected in a very severe way by sure. it, you know? Um, so I try to be careful in that, you know, I'm just joking about my particular corner of it, if you will, you know, the meticulous aspect of it mm -hmm. and that thing. Um but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's something that I've dealt with, at, at least I, I feel in, in my life, I should probably, you know, do more research on it. But uh, yeah, I think what I think fear is what's driving me, Brian. Let's be honest. I'm just, so I was like, look at, oh, this could go wrong. Let me fix it. Let me obsess on this. Let me control what I can control. So for me, I think it's a control thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I've always, my... <laughs> If I'm, if, you know, I, I live with my girlfriend and mm -hmm. so, you know, yet when you're with someone, you have to be, put the caps back on the pens and put the tops sure. back on the bottles. You know, you have to be cognizant of your partner, but when I'm by myself, if I'm in a hotel room out on the road, my, I go from complete slob <laughs> to complete, completely organized, like, like, like. Like the middle ground is not comfortable for me. Like right. I can go, that's it. I'm doing nothing. I, I'm I'm going to accomplish nothing. And then everything goes to hell. And then I'm like, now I have to organize. <laughs> yeah, I go on the road and they say, I'm sorry, you know, due to COVID, we don't have housekeeping. It's fine. I put the do not disturb on the door anyway. It doesn't matter. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't want visitors. I don't want, you know, I don't want that. I'm done. I'm going into my cave. I, I remember having the do not disturb sign on the hotel doorknob. And I like to sleep during the day before the shows. And it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Phone rings. And they said, this is housekeeping calling to let you know that your do not disturb sign is on your door. <laughs> I'm like, do you guys not see how funny and weird this is? Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering where it was. Thank God you're here. Thank you for disturbing me to let me know that <laughs> you're not disturbed sign was out there. So when you got done uh, uh, with football and you played with a, a broken collarbone uh, that I saw in the piece too, that's pretty tough. 
Well, yeah, it was actually in the uh, the Orange Bowl Stadium mm-hmm. in Miami. Um, two of the high schools we played against got to use the Orange Bowl as their home stadium. Right. I remember going, how is this fair that we play down at Tropical Park and they have the Orange Bowl <laughs> as their home stadium? Anyway, so we got to play some games in the Orange Bowl. This was back when they had polyturf. Uh. Everybody knows AstroTurf, but the Orange Bowl had polyturf. So it was a fake grass. And uh, the first time I got on it, you know, I, I, you felt like you're running like a cheetah. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm running a thousand miles an hour out of here. So it was a slant pass over the middle. I caught it. And then I'm like, I want to see how fast I can go. And I started uh, picking up speed. And some guy, some defensive back came out of nowhere and just hit me so hard that I describe it as looking straight and up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after football, you, uh, you said you wanted to become an accountant because your dad, I think, is an accountant. That was um, my senior year in high school. I took an accounting class, like a college level accounting class, and mm-hmm. I was pretty good at it. My dad was an accountant for Eastern Airlines. Maybe I should have realized when Eastern Airlines uh, went out of business... <laughs> That maybe it's not in our genes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, so that was my, my path only because I couldn't think of anything else. Like, you know, that was before, like I hit on the idea of like, you know, when when it dawns on a person that they could get in, that they could be a comedian and be in show business. It's like, there's a certain audacity to that. It's like, wait, I don't have to be an accountant. And there's nothing wrong with being an accountant, you know, it's a wonderful profession. But when it dawned on me that I guess I'm allowed to try to be a stand-up comedian, I don't, you know, I'm looking in law books. There's, <laughs> it, there don't seem to be any laws against me pursuing this. Yeah. I'm like, anybody can, anybody can do this? Yeah. And so it was quite fascinating to happen upon that dream. Yeah. Cause I was going to, I was, I had a bunch of different jobs and my father actually, it's funny he used the word permission, gave me permission to do it. Oh. You know? well, I mean, subconsciously I'm like, I've got permission. Cause he saw me do my first uh, open mic and, uh, I never fit in anywhere. You know, my dad's very mechanical and I love cars because of my dad, but I can't fix them. So I never really fit in. I was always hovering around the family business and everything. You're like, well, he's not going to be the one to take care of us when we get old. Let's pay attention to the other two. So when I finally did this thing, I felt, I I internally felt, all right, I belong here. I don't know how long I'm going to last here, but I belong here now. And the next day I told my father, I want to give this a shot. And he told me, do it now, do it now, right now before your life gets complicated. And I went, okay. And so that actually gave me the permission. But I think, I think because we're on some level, people pleasing people because of what we do, we want, we want to elicit a reaction from somebody sure. and, and connect with them that there's, there is that kind of permission needed because we we're, we want to please people. And I, I, I really think that the, the laughter and the applause is actually, you know, uh, the, that pellet of uh, dopamine we get in our heads when we do it. Yeah. Is well, that's really great that your uh, dad encouraged you. My parents were very supportive, uh, but I've heard a lot of comedians who say that their parents were not. Sure. Yeah. You know, especially when you go back to, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, a dream like comedy for some families is like, 
they think there's almost something wrong with you. You know, yeah. it's like, what do you mean? You're not going to work in the family business or you're not going to work in a factory or whatever. So some people would worry that someone would want to pursue something like that. I think it's less the case now, I think, yeah. but who knows? Yeah. Well, and you had a job. Was your last straight job in a toy store? Yes. Was that... <laughs> I was work, working at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. That's the club where I started, the comic strip. So I was working there, but I was still new. I was like a bus boy and uh, worked in the kitchen and they would let me go on stage and do five minutes. So I had the days free and I felt like I should probably get a job during the day. So I got a job at a toy store and um, it's a thing I do in my act, but it's a true story. Mm-hmm. A, a, buddy, a buddy of mine, a guy who worked at the toy store came up to me while we were working and said, hey, man, uh, I found a place where we can go hide where we don't have to work. And I'm like, okay. He goes, follow me. So we went behind the bike rack against the back wall of the store, and we're like walking behind this bike rack. And right. then he found, was a hole in the wall, like this big hole. And he goes, follow me. So he crawls into this hole, like we're Alice in Wonderland, you know, and <laughs> So I follow him into this hole and now we're inside a wall, you know, with the drywall on this side and drywall behind you. We're, and he shimmies down like five feet away from the hole. So nobody can see us. And we're like five feet, just we're standing. You can't even sit in there. We're standing next to each other with our arms by our side for like a minute. And he looks up and he goes, beats working, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> You're just standing in a wall. We're standing in a wall. Like this. <laughs> How is putting bikes together worse than this? Uh, oh, I I used to work at the the E. Vincent luggage store uh, in the Walt Whitman Mall on Long Island. And uh, we would, uh, in the back room, in the showroom, there was these shelves, these big shelves. So on the top shelf, there was all this luggage. And there was they were giant shelves. So I used to crawl up there on the top shelf, go behind the luggage and just go to sleep because you couldn't see anything. I just, I, just, I just put, you know, the luggage in front of me. You can't see anything. My manager is showing some people <laughs> and goes up and pulls the luggage down. And there I am sleeping behind the Hartman luggage. This luggage comes with... A person, <laughs> I'm the red cap. Bags for you. <laughs> yes, I'll be bringing them to to your car. <laughs> wow, that's hysterical. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but I had those jobs too. My last straight job, Brian's, I was a dishwasher because uh, during the day uh, at a corporate office of a savings bank because it was only lunch. So I would go out at night and just do stand up, and it meant everything to me is to do stand up. Yeah, I was a dishwasher. Yeah. I, I was a dishwasher. I was a, um, a salad chef at a four-star restaurant. The guy who uh, trained me one day, he trained me how to do everything. So I, I would have to get there. We would get there at noon mm-hmm. to prep for a restaurant that didn't open until 5 p.m. So we did five hours of nothing but prep work, making right. salad dressing, croutons, vichyssoise soup, peeling shrimp, you know, like everything you had to do to get salads and desserts and stuff ready. And so after training me for one day, the next day, he's like, all right, I'm going to let you do everything. Uh, I couldn't say, well, you're still here. Why don't you help me? (laughs) He pulled out an apple and a knife and uh, he just leaned while I did everything. He like carved a bird out of an apple. Like he was kind of artistic and cut all these wings off off this thing and just made this beautiful little bird. That's all he did. He just leaned against the counter and made an apple. 
And then everybody starts coming in, the waiters and everything for the restaurant to open. And everybody's like, wow, who made that bird? And uh, I had to say, Dwayne did. <laughs> Dwayne made that bird while I peeled shrimp and made croutons <laughs> and made soup and made salads. <laughs> while I was doing all of that, Dwayne <laughs> made that bird. <laughs> I said, you know what? Tomorrow, how about Dwayne and I both make birds? How about we both make birds? And then there'll be no salads, but we'll have two beautiful birds that everybody can talk about all night about how great they are. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I like uh, in, in your act because you don't – we've had this discussion on the show before, and believe me, my wife has had it with me too. Uh, uh, frustration is funny. Anger's not. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And frustration on you is good because you actually, you slow down. <laughs> <laughs> the words get longer and the emotions get bigger. I don't know if you're aware <laughs> of that. Well, I've always been intrigued with the <clears throat> the formula, they say. Comedy equals tragedy plus time. Yeah. Tragedy doesn't need to be like a horrific tragedy. It doesn't need to be a death. It just means something bad, strange, awkward that happens. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily funny at the time, but time passes. You look back on it and you can laugh. You know, it's like if you're changing, I, I've always said, if you're changing a flat tire in the rain, you're not laughing then, right. but you'll laugh next Friday when you're telling everybody at a party about it. My dream is to get so mentally healthy that I can eliminate time from the equation. And if, if you could laugh while you were changing tires in the rain, that would be the ultimate state of mind. Yeah, they'd also come and lock you up because they think you're robbing the car. <laughs> it's also the mental state, Brian, because you, you can look back and laugh. Or you look back and regret and you're angry all over again. That, that That's also a trap. <laughs> yeah, you can flip it. Yeah. Laugh while you're changing it. And then at the party, you're furious. Yeah. You go, Why is he mad now? Yeah, it's getting the perspective on stuff. And that's what I, I've talked about on the show before. I went on stage after my dad died and was way too early to talk about it, you know, because it wasn't. You need the perspective on it to to find the funny in it and to, and to take – I think you need the perspective to take yourself out of it, you know, and see it objectively, you know, rather than in your point right. of view. Yeah, the emotion the, the emotion is out of it, and now you're just uh, seeing it from a bird's eye view. Yeah, because I fight, I fight depression and I fight, you know, the anxiety, and, and one of the things – the tools I got is I got to take myself out of it and see what is, not what I see from this roller coaster car that I'm in, you know. I saw one of the bits that you did. It was uh, – when you were promoing your uh, recent special yeah. about having depression and anxiety. Yeah. And the thing where you run back and forth, it's very, very funny. Thanks. Yeah. It, 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 it's a living fucking nightmare, Regan. That's what it is. But it's funny to me. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how, how you have to deal with it. I get to laugh at that. <laughs> what do you deal with? What do you deal with? Do you get to get depressed at all? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have the normal range of emotions, I mm -hmm. think, that normal humans have. Uh, I don't know that depression, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've had times in my life where things have been pretty tough, you know, yeah. but um, I um, I try to, I don't know, realize that overall life is good. You know, you can on a ladder, you can look up or you can look down. And, yeah. uh, you know, as long as you realize that, sometimes maybe you can pull yourself out of difficult situations. Yeah, it's getting... I I try to get that perspective. It was funny when you said it equals time when you, and time allows you to see things differently because you're not trapped in the emotion of the moment. Right. You know, so I, I'm actually trying to just to broaden 
just to be rather than to have to not do, but I, just to get away from me for a while, Brian. I just I've had it. <laughs> I understand. I, you can hit, you can hit delete and I'm gone. I, I just I, I evaporate from your screen. Don't leave me now. Don't leave me. I just started trying to do a new bit that no one's laughing at yet. I've only tried it twice, and maybe it's a new technology, or maybe it's not funny. But you ever like you try to text somebody and they have a thing that says uh, notification silenced. Yeah. You know, um, which means like if you ding them, it's not going to ding on their side. But (laughs) I texted somebody one time, like we had a little text conversation. And then right at the end of the conversation, that's when they put it up. Notification silenced. And I'm like, ouch. (laughs) You know, like. uh, (laughs) Well, (laughs) this just happened that. He wasn't communicating with anyone else. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, I get that too. Especially if I don't hear back, I get, I get text expectations. I'm like, you should answer <laughs> me immediately. And if you don't, if you don't answer me, I've done something. And then I start beating myself up. That, that That's how self-centered I can be. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I, I saw a, um, some, I don't know. They were talking to young people about, uh, technology etiquette and they were asking people if you text someone how soon do you feel the other person should respond and this young woman said if i don't get a response within 20 minutes i'm very hurt by that and Mm -hmm. i remember (laughs) sometimes i'll go three days (laughs) to a text i didn't realize like like are we like firefighters like you know the bell dings and we have to reply you know um I didn't realize we're all, we're all on call to reply to anyone who ever wants to text us at any moment, you know? So. You know what they have now is you can take a text back. I don't need that. I, cause now I don't need that indecision. You know, are, are you coming to what? Oh, that was too harsh. Let me take that back. Oh, I misspelled that. Let me take that back. What's he going to think of me? Not using, I should use an emoji here. So he knows I'm, I would be caught in that loop all day long. Well, what is, um, I don't understand it. You've already sent it. Yeah, but what, you can, you I've can already seen it. You can, uh, no, you, well, that I don't know, but you can unsend it. You can unsend it like right away. Like what if you send, you're a, you are an absolute jerk. Yeah. Send. And then you're like, okay, that was harsh. Yeah. And you undo it and go, Hey man, we need to talk. And then the guy goes, wait a second. What about the, you're an absolute jerk. <laughs> just read. Yeah. I, I, oh, don't I, know. Thought I withdrew that in time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I saw the commercial for it and right away I went, this is going to be a problem for me. I can see it right now. <laughs> Too many options. Man. Yeah, it's too, that's the yeah. Too many options. There's too many options. I'm like, how can I drive myself crazy today? I have too many things wrong with me, Brian. So. <laughs> now you got now new tech, technology is giving you new things to worry about. Yeah. yeah. How many specials have you done? I believe I have. Whether they're called specials, I believe I have seven one-hour things out there. Mm-hmm. Some of them are specials. Some of them are CDs. Some of them are DVDs. I have seven or eight. Yeah. There. I'm, uh, sure, I'm sure they're categorized and on the proper show. <laughs> you want them alphabetically or do you want them? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, Just the amount of work and the and the evolution of, of what you do and, and everything you do is evergreen. You know, there's like you could put on you know, we walked on the moon special and it's still bang. It's still dead on. It's not topical stuff. It's not tired. The, the style isn't out of style, you know, just well, I appreciate Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I like to do stuff that just feels like it can live on for a while. But, uh, you know, I, I've always, you know, it's like even when you do a I, I, I love all kinds of comedy. I love people who do topical stuff, you mm-hmm. know, 
impressive to me when somebody gets on stage and does 15 minutes of things that are in the news. It's like amazing to me. But it would, it, for me, it would be frustrating to have this stuff that I can only do for two weeks. Yeah, I know. That you amazing. Know? Like those guys that sit down with a paper and write 10 jokes. I mean, I, I've known friends and guys that wrote for Letterman and, and they write for The Tonight Show and they just churned it out. And I'm like, man, that that's impressive because I, I, you know, like you, I craft it and it's a story and it's it, this, this bit. Has, if I use this tag, I can go here. You know, so mm-hmm. it takes time to do that. Yeah, I, I'm. I've always been intrigued when people just assume that comedians can be funny at any moment. You yeah. know, uh, I was working with my brother, Dennis, also a stand-up comedian for people who are listening who might not know. Very funny. And we were working together at a place and, you know, you go do the morning talk show, sure. you know, morning Arizona. Not that it was that one, but, you know. And uh, so a producer came up and said, all right, before we do the segment with you, we're just going to have you standing over here and we're going to go, hey, Coming up after the break, we're going to have Brian and Dennis Regan. Mm-hmm. And so when we do that, um, do something funny for like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. What? Tell, tell me what you want me to do. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't just, yeah. <laughs> I just cre- create 30 seconds on the spot. Yeah. And with no sound. Like that magical, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and they don't they don't give any sound because they're playing the music out. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, honey, we got it. We got after the break. These two guys. Yeah, see them? yeah. Listen, we're gonna be. I was gonna go to work today, but now I have to see what's coming up after the break. These did, guys. Did you see the bunny ears? The big one put over the little one. <laughs> yeah, funny guys. I can already tell. <laughs> Well, you're a creative guy. Uh, in doing my research on you, I wanted to ask you about the adventures of Ned, the cartoon. Hey, wow. That's obscure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, in my college newspaper, um, I did a cartoon strip, and it was called The Adventures of Ned, mm-hmm. Adventures of Ned Stickman. And uh, he was a stickman. He was the only stickman in a human-bodied world. All right. And I remember at the time, like, I couldn't draw very well. And I'm like, I can't draw the same guy twice. So my main character has to be a stick man because I can draw a stick man over and over again. And the other characters, they're like one-offs. So I could draw somebody goofy and then have that be somebody that Ned had to deal with. And uh, it was fun. It was uh, fun to be able to do this goofy little cartoon strip and... uh, and it was the first time in my life that people knew who I was outside outside of having met me. Mm-hmm. So I'd be walking around on campus and people go, man, you're the guy that does Ned Stickman. And I remember being fascinated by that. It's like, wow, I draw this little thing in my dorm room. It gets in the college newspaper. And now people who I don't even know, know who I am because yeah. of this. It was very bizarre to me. So it was like one of the, it was the be, the beginnings of me being creative and trying to do goofy, funny stuff, you know? Yeah. And he was a superhero that saved three out of four people, if I remember correct. correct. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> I wanted him to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. So like if four people like fell out of a hot air balloon, he would catch three of them. <laughs> And one would be dead. Yeah. And I liked it because, you know, it's like, well, the world is still better. Yeah. You know, most superheroes save yeah. everybody. Not for not that dead. guy, but it's still not better. Dead. We're batting 750. That's pretty good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> 
What what is your favorite superhero? Uh, Batman. Batman because, because he's human. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's just a human being, and he has to figure out with what humans can do how to be a superhero. Everybody else has these you know uh, skills that come from other planets and yeah. stuff. Um, you know, people can't really fly, mm-hmm. so like. Batman can't really fly. He's got to figure out how to get up that building by using ropes and hooks and stuff like that. Yeah, but so, he, he's not like know. every he's not like every other person. He has a budget, you know. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day about the original or the the Batman TV series years ago. It was sure. like tongue in cheek, and um, the writers you could tell had a good time. And they had a scene like when they would be in Bruce Wayne's office, <clears throat> and they had to go down to the Batcave. Mm-hmm pull the bust back and hit the button and then the doors would open with the two poles. And they had signs on the poles that said poles to bat cave. (laughs) Like, do they need that? You know, obviously it's the writers just being funny. Like it's so ridiculous that they're the only people that know about these poles. And yet there are signs on there. So Batman and Robin know that, yeah, these are the poles we should be sliding down. Yeah, when when the wall opens, you're going to become a superhero. You're not going to hide from working in a toy store. <laughs> right. My favorite okay. superhero was Spider Man because he was a kid from Queens, and uh, and I was from Queens, and he got bit by a radioactive spider, and I had spiders in the basement. So there was a chance. Mom had a microwave. Don't you think I tried? <laughs> There's a chance. There's a chance that you could be like Spider Man. Yeah, it's like you know what you know what superhero I could never be because of my makeup is the Hulk. Because I would, I when he gets angry, he changed. I would never change back. That that's where I am in my life. I would, I would stay giant green man in in purple capri pants. I would that that's the way I've been spending the rest of my life. I, I'm sure people have done bits about it, but uh, the fact that his pants still kind of fit was yeah. uh, always strange. It's like, wow, you still have a 38 waist, <laughs> despite every every other part of your body has like magnified by four times, but. Yeah. You, Pants still buckle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's Saturday morning and the kids are watching. (laughs) (laughs) The kids aren't going, wait a second. This doesn't make any sense. You know, (laughs) what's next for you, my friend? I don't know, man. I'm still doing stand up Mm -hmm. out there. Um, I have ideas for shows and movies and things like that, that I want to start pursuing. In fact, I've been, you know, talking to people about uh, wanting to, I, I, I guess it's interesting because we talked about Ned Stickman, not mm-hmm. that I want Ned Stickman again, but I have creative ideas that I want to pursue and I right. want to get involved with people who would say, yeah, let's give it a shot, you know? So as much as I like doing stand up, I like thinking of things that uh, could possibly live in a creative world. Cool. Well, your, uh, your tour dates are on your website. I highly recommend going to see my pal, Brian Regan, and everyone can go. The whole family can go. Uh, because not only is he hysterically funny, he's 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 clean and he's not going to offend everybody. And uh, well, I, I do have to say, we I'm getting some pushback. We do not allow left-handed people. All right, listen, listen. No you, left-handed people are allowed. You in southpaw the, uh, motherfuckers <laughs> don't come anywhere near Regan show. You got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, come on, knock it off. All right, get get, get up with the rest of the world for God's sake. I appreciate all the kind words and uh, thanks for having me on the Adam Ferrara podcast. (laughs) It's always good to see you, my friend. Be well, be happy and best to you and your family. Thank you very much. You as well. Hey, this is Brian Regan and that's 30 minutes. I'll never get back. 
Yes, yes, I put Adam to bed. So it's just me and you. And in regards to the OCD, I don't know if he caught it from me. I think Adam is just a little nuts. And if anything, we're going to call it marriage OCD. And you know what? Between you and I, sometimes I just leave the cap off to annoy him. It's fun. You should try it. All right, guys. I'm so glad that we got to get this podcast out. And if you guys want to get a hold of us and wish Adam a get well soon, email us at theadamfarrar at gmail. And if you'd like to help us out, please leave a comment. It helps us with our friend, Mr. Algorithm. And as Adam would say, life is hard. So please take it easy on yourself. The pot has ended. Go in peace. It's me, me and my beautiful wife. Under protest. Under protest. Yeah, my, my, the doctor has me on voice rest. Um, but we could not not do a show for you. So this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You should be in bed sipping tea. Yes. Well, I should be in bed. That's why I'm sounding so sexy. <laughs> Your sexy sounds a lot like an obscene phone call. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.